Hey there, and welcome back to another show. I'm Father Roderick, and uh, this is my weekly show about pop culture, about technology, movies, TV shows, and faith. Because I happen to be a priest, so we got to talk about faith also from time to time. All that and more coming up in this episode of my show. And as always, this show, this episode is brought to you advertisement-free thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. I'm so grateful that I have all these uh, listeners that support me on a monthly basis. If you want to join them and get access to the special podcast, extra podcast that I record for my patrons as a thank you, then uh, check it out over at uh, patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I am so happy that last week is over because it was a tough week. One of the, well, definitely the toughest week of the year so far. Um... I'd been uh, working really, really around the clock to finish uh, a documentary that premiered on Saturday, and I, literally on on Friday evening. I think uh, I think I already mentioned this last last week because I recorded this toward the end of the week as well. Um, uh, worked until very late in the in at night, actually uh, one o'clock in the morning. Woke up early and finished it in the nick of time, and. Uh, that was not the only work that week. It just a crazy, crazy week. Also, where I kind of noticed or, or realized again how 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 dangerous it is to uh, go too close to your to your own boundaries. And I was physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, spiritually exhausted. And uh, I took the day off uh, yesterday on Monday, and that was actually a, a, a bit of grace. It was so wonderful to have a day at home where I had no obligations whatsoever. I spent some time building my Hogwarts Lego castle. Uh, I, I read some books. I cleaned the house and um, cooked. I took some time to cook, which is also something that when I'm too busy, I don't have time to cook. Um, and I, I like to do that so much. So it, it, it did a lot of good. This morning we had a, an important meeting, or actually two important meetings, um, Fortunately, that also went well. So now I'm 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 finally a bit stress free. <laughs> so I'm trying to slow down again, uh, kind of fall back into my usual rhythm, and I hope that I can avoid these stressful uh, weeks with t- way too much work in the future by um, planning more margin. Uh, one of one of the tips I got last year, I think, from someone was. Uh, always make a, a realistic uh, approximation of how much time certain tasks will take you and then double it and use that to, to, uh, to make your, your schedule and to fill in your, um, your calendar. And I think that's definitely something I need to do more. It's, it's always calculate extra margin because if you don't and things go wrong and there's leftover work, then uh, it can endanger your health, or my health in this case. So I'll probably need a few more days to recover sleep-wise. And I just read a scientific article, uh, again, stressing how important sleep is and and getting enough sleep. If you get less than six hours uh, per night, that can already put you at at risk, at a heightened risk for um, 
heart disease, and also for cancer. Um, so uh, being well-rested is not just a luxury. <laughs> it is actually vital for uh, a balanced health. So I'm going to uh, try to to listen to myself more in the future instead of having my life being um, uh, directed by, by, well, obligations or commitments or other people. Um, that's also, by the way, the road to a burnout. It's the feeling that you can't escape from your duties and everything you do is not something you want to do, but it's something that you have to do. And not being in control of your own life and your own time is, uh, is the quickest way to get uh, overworked. And that is a road that I went down years ago and I don't want to revisit it. So <laughs> wish me luck and say a prayer if possible. <laughs> And with that, I think it is time for some relaxation. One of the things I hope to do this year a lot is to go to the movies, to enjoy a television series, and to be able to share that with you as well. And I reverted back to a simple subscription. I've got a monthly subscription to my local theater, and I had the like the super deluxe 3D one, and I scaled it back because it was so expensive. So I now only watch movies in 2D, but why not? Just a movie. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. So every week when I record this show, I also have to think about the visual aspect of it because I try to stream this live uh, on Facebook every week and I'm recording that in front of a green screen and I always want to have something in the background and I usually don't know exactly what uh, so I, I did prepare a couple of fixed backgrounds that I would uh, alternate uh, when I was changing the the topic so if I would talk books I would put a bookshelf behind me etc uh, but that also gets old so now I'm just trying to find um, a, a frame uh, or an image that uh, is uh, has a relation with some one of the topics that I'm talking about. So for this week, it was actually quite easy, and I picked something that is just actually brand new. Um, it is a frame from the teaser trailer for the new Spider-Man movie, and I'm not talking about uh, Into the Spider-Verse, the movie that I rave-reviewed last week, but it is the sequel to uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, and uh, this next movie is uh, called uh, Spider-Man... Far From Home, which I actually really like as a contrast with the first movie, um, Homecoming, and now it's Far From Home. That teaser trailer just aired or was launched today. I happened to catch it in the afternoon right after it was. Uh, it appeared on the interwebs, and uh, I so enjoyed it. It was It's a crazy good I mean, it was called a teaser trailer, but it's not really, it's, they're not teasing. They're giving away like big chunks of the movie. And it looks like the movie uh, is another win for uh, for Marvel um, and for Spider-Man fans because it looks amazing. And um, the frame that I chose for the green screen background is a um, uh, an overview of um, of London 
in turmoil. There are big explosions and the sky is darkened. And Spider-Man is featuring a new suit. Instead of the classic red-blue suit, he's wearing a uh, red-black suit. And the first moment that I saw that new suit, I was like, I know this from... This looks like an older suit uh, from the comics in, in, you know, before the year 2000. And it turns out that was exactly um, the, his outfit in the 90s, I think. So I must have a, like a visual recollection of that. And the reason that he's ge- wearing a new suit is explained in the trailer itself. Um, uh, Peter Parker is going on a trip, on a, a trip to Europe with his uh, new girlfriend. Um, and... He is looking at his um, uh, clothes and then he's like, yeah, I'm probably when I go to Europe, because he's going on vacation in Europe, Europe doesn't need a, a friendly neighborhood spider uh, or Spider-Man. So I'll just leave my suit behind. And then, of course, all hell breaks loose. And um, he is recruited uh, by Nick Fury, um, which is kind of uh, intriguing because everyone is wondering when does this take place? Is this after the last Avengers movie? Or is it before that? Is it, I don't know, in a, an alternate dimension? Or I mean, Spider-Man is, is alive. And we saw him disappear in a very emotional scene at the end of the uh, last uh, Avengers movie. So it's, it's kind of a, huh, intriguing. How are they going to explain that to us? My current impression is that this takes place probably before, but it doesn't make sense because we would have heard about this event if London is destroyed. And uh, not just London, we also see Venice being menaced by uh, a water monster. And um, you'd think that if this was happening before the events in the Avengers... We would some it would have been mentioned, um, but it's not, and and so is. But then again, Nick Fury is recruiting Spider-Man for for the Avengers. I don't know, um, but wasn't he already part of the Avengers in in in, in the Avengers movie? It's, I'm I'm confused. I don't know when this takes place. Um, so anyway, that, that is intriguing. What was also really cool was that we got to see a few kind of classic um, superhero or super villains. Um, we, we've had a lot of kind of more low-key villains uh, from time to time. Low-key. <laughs> but usually not big monsters. Uh, we would see just regular super villains um, in a super villain suit. But now we go kind of go back to these big manifestations of like there's this huge kind of looks like a rock monster at first. Or I was like, is this a new take on Sandman, perhaps? Then we see in Venice, which looks gorgeous. It's probably going to be a digital recreation of the entire town because it's very, very hard to film there because of all the tourists. Um, but anyway, it does really look like like Venice. Um you see this water monster, and it's almost like the water equivalent of Sandman. It must be a supervillain who is manipulating the water, in this case, of, the, of the, all the water in the city of Venice, uh, to attack uh, Spider-Man. And then we get introduced to um, another... Is it a superhero or is it a supervillain? It must be Mysterio. And uh, Mysterio is a, is a very cool villain, a very well-known villain from the Spider-Man mythology. Um, 
who is actually a kind of a disgruntled special effects uh, artist who in the era of um, superheroes has become almost superfluous. So in, in, in order to um, kind of get the attention of the world around him, this guy uh, outfits himself with, um, well, not really superpowers, but all sorts of gadgets and tricks in his uh, arsenal and his, in his costume to um, basically do real-life special effects so that people actually think, and, and some superheroes are also fooled into thinking, that he's an actual superhero. In, in this teaser trailer, he comes across as um, as a... At first, a, f a friend uh, almost of super uh, of uh, of Spider-Man in this case, but of course, he in the in the comics he he turns out to be a villain. So perhaps there is an arc, uh, a story arc that will turn him into a villain over time. And then these big monsters, the water monster, the rock monster, um, are probably, but that is just a guess. Uh, the um, the element the elementals, which was also a, a, a four uh, super villains that were manipulating, I think the air and the water and the rocks or the the, the soil, and uh, probably also I don't know um, what is it uh, fumes or I'm not sure about ever or, or light I don't know. Um, Anyway, th those th that would be very cool to have these four super villains from also I think th these also date back to the to before the year two thousand. So they're kind of more classic um, Spider-Man uh, villains. We've never seen uh, these four appear in, um, in 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 any of the new Marvel movies. So that that's pretty cool to get some more classic material, kind of being getting getting a new youth in in this uh, Marvel universe. Um, and everything just looks like classic, funny, uh, uh, well-paced Spider-Man action, uh, and very, very different from from Into the Spider-Verse. So I'm I'm really glad that we now have basically two branches of of the Spider-Man universe. We got Sony with uh, uh, probably more sequels to Into the Spider-Verse. At least I hope it. By the way, I I listened to a few podcasts, and you should. Really look for them in um, in your uh, podcast application. Um, there is uh, behind the scenes. There's an interview about how they did the special effects and especially how they did the animation. Turns out that that took them more than a year to just develop the visual style. And there are um, there is a great episode of School of Movies, which is one of my favorite uh, UK. Uh, um, uh, movie podcasts where they even uh, noticed that um, the frame rate of these different Spider-Man characters from all these from these multiverse uh, from the multiverse from all these different universes that um, they have different frame rates rates based on the animation feel that they want to evoke. So, for instance, the 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 pork the spider was is spider ham. <laughs> character he has a higher frame rate than the girl who is from the anime world 
and that's probably because it 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 kind of wants to evoke the the times of the uh, Looney Tunes, which were also animated at a much higher frame rate than a lot of other animation uh, back then. And of course, the more frames per second, the more expensive it is. And so Warner Brothers was uh, spending more money on the quality of the animation, and they just by changing the frame rate of that. Spider-Ham character, they give you almost a subconscious uh, uh, recognition of that this, this this feels I don't know what it is but it feels like like those Looney Tunes from from back in the in the olden days and and uh, the anime also they they took like there is a, a technique that they use in anime also to save money is they animate I think like. Uh, there is this cadence. Uh, I'm not sure it's a one one change per three seconds or something like that. I'm not an, I'm not an expert, but they were talking about that. And, and and it was very hard for them to use that kind of 2D animation frame rate and apply it to something that is three-dimensional. It's fascinating to listen to those um, kind of that behind-the-scenes uh, um, uh information makes me appreciate Into the Spider-Verse even more. But I'm so glad that with um, Far From Home, we get the the other very interesting new kind of uh, renewal of, of, of the Spider-Man uh, stories with what Marvel is doing. And uh, I think they really hit a home run with their first movie, with Homecoming. And, and this second movie really feels like the first one. So uh, nothing, nothing too groundbreaking so far, what I've seen in the, in the trailer. But the fact that we get to see Nick Fury, and uh, it's, it's awesome. And of course, the, 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 we're going to see Nick Fury again very soon as well in uh, the Captain Marvel movie, of which we've also seen numerous trailers now. And that movie also gets better and better uh, from, from what I see. And there we get a younger version. So a computer, well, it's a computer-corrected Nick Fury, where um, Samuel L. Jackson is made younger with the use of uh, special effects. And that, of course, has been a technique that we've seen before, also in some of the X-Men movies that was done. Uh, it was also applied uh, to um, Captain America's character in the first Captain America movie. Um, but this looks like the best the best application of that technique so far. Um, it's a you totally believe that was it was filmed 20 years ago or 30 years ago <laughs> with a young Samuel L. Jackson. So it's pretty amazing uh, what what also the kind of the technological innovation that these superhero movies bring about. So there's a lot to look forward to. There's also uh, a lot of superhero stuff on um, on TV on Netflix. Um, I noticed that they posted uh, the first season of of the Titans, which got mixed reviews. Um, the Titans is kind of a bit of a more of a darker take on the superhero universe. This is DC based. Um, I watched part of the first episode and it, it was really a, a very, very dark, very grim, very violent. At one point I, I turned it off because I wasn't in the mood. It was like people were killed left and right. And I think Robin from, you know, Robin from Batman is one of those characters. And he was just outright killing people and there was blood and it was like Whoa, okay I'll, I'll save this for another for another day so I, I, I looked up some of the reviews um, and they were all saying the same thing yes it is violent and and very grim very gritty it takes a lot of time to get used to that but 
this gets better. So hold on to your seats. Um, the, the, the chemistry will be there later on in, in future episodes. So I guess it's just one of those series where you have to kind of work your way through the first few episodes until you get familiar with the individual characters and the style of the series, and then you'll start to enjoy it. So I'll, um, I'll, be, uh, I'll be brave and I'll sometimes close my eyes with all this violence, and hopefully this will... Uh, be good because I think Netflix with the loss of uh, Daredevil and the, the Iron Fist and uh, what was the other one? Uh, Jessica Jones? The, there's, they're not doing any more of those seasons, so they, but they do need more superhero material because, well, that's what people want to watch. So um, I think I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll support... Um, <laughs> Netflix by watching more of Titans. Um, speaking of Netflix, uh, they've raised their prices in the U- in the United States, and they're probably also going to raise their prices here in uh, in Europe. And that's because they need more money. They've currently they're borrowing a lot of money, so they're they're um, still in the red. They're not making a profit because they're investing so much in their original content. And of course, that's hit or, hit or miss. There's a lot of stuff on Netflix um, that doesn't work or doesn't attract a big enough audience. But they also have sometimes uh, sur- surprising hits. I mean, the whole... Um, the, 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 the amount of, of publicity that... Um, what's the series with the people that are blindfolded? With, with all the memes where people are, are doing that in real life, which is crazy, the bird the bird cage or something like that. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I mean, that was a surprise hit, and it's it's gone viral all over the world. Everybody wants to have seen it. Um, so that's probably Netflix's approach. They're just trying out uh, throwing pasta at the wall and see what sticks. Um, it's a risky uh, business uh, strategy, but it seems to pay off for them. And I hope that with their incremental price raises, they're not scaring off people because, of course, they'll get a lot of competition in the years to come. Uh, and one of the biggest competitors is going to be Disney with their incredibly huge uh, catalog and also with their um, uh, the, the, the Star Wars brand, the Marvel series. Uh, they are definitely going to uh, uh, put a dent, I think, in in the profits of Netflix, and then of course you've got CBS All Access, uh, and they are also announcing a ton of new Star Trek series. Um, so we're we're getting the uh, older Picard series, and they keep stressing how much more grounded that will be, and it will not be at all um, uh, the, the, what we are used to uh, from from the next generation. So they want to show that Picard is now living in a totally different situation. I hope it's not going to be too boring and too too grounded. I do want to see spaceships and I want to see him in charge and say, engage. And I I hope they're not going to disappoint us. (laughs) We'll see. And then there are some more spinoffs of um, this discovery that they're planning. So... And that comes with the news that the the uh, new Kelvin timeline has basically been put on hold. The fourth Star Trek series uh, with uh, uh, Chris Pine and uh, uh, some of the other actors, it, they weren't able to close a deal with some of those actors uh, because the third movie wasn't uh, much of a success. 
And so they actually asked the actors to accept a, um, a lower, lower wages. And uh, Chris Pine and some of the others walked away from the negotiations and it ended up being shelved. So um, there won't be a fourth movie in the Calvin timeline anytime soon. It's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a shame, I think. Or uh, they, they hoped, of course, that with this kind of branching off this new timeline and opening up uh, the possibility of, of for, for instance, going back to storylines from the next generation, but doing them for, for this generation in a certain way with new and other actors, they would be able to completely reopen the, the future for, for Star Trek. And it turns out it doesn't work. And the television series are, may actually become much more popular and, uh, and make more money than... than than the, the movies uh, would do. We'll have to wait and see. But competition between all those streaming platforms is not bad in itself for the industry because it will push these platforms to do their best to capture us as clients. Um, it's just that for us as consumers and, and, and lovers of, of science fiction and TV series, it may actually become very expensive because... How many subscriptions can you actually afford? And it's every time. It's just piling up and piling up. Uh, it may be $8 or $11 a month for this and that. But then if you have four or five of those subscriptions, plus your music subscription, plus your software subscriptions, and your PlayStation uh, monthly subscription, it's going to add up and something will have to give, I think. So who will win? We'll see. And with that, it is time to talk about consumerism <laughs> on Peculiar Lunch. Because here at Peculiar Lunch, we talk about faith and about the Catholic faith, but also about its implications in real life. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? What kind of day-to-day lifestyle does the Catholic faith propose? And what does it mean for the choices that we make? That's what I want to talk about. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. And so, um, I was triggered by a television series that I saw on Dutch television, but there was also a, a, an equivalent on Netflix, and it is about the, the real cost of our consumption and the, the, the things that we eat, the things that we buy, the things that we wear. I've talked about this in the past as well, uh, especially in conjunction with this whole theme of minimalism and perhaps uh, not buying things you don't really need and that they're only going to clutter up your life. Uh, I've talked about this also when it comes to technology. Um, there is actually, there are a lot of advantages in not buying the latest, greatest, newest, sleekest tele telephone, uh, but to just try to live another year with your old phone, especially if it still does what you need it to do, um, because it will save money. <laughs> it will save you money that you can use for other things, but it will also save uh, the environment. Uh, there are a lot of advantages of, of being more prudent with the way we spend our money. Well, this television series in, in the Netherlands was focused on the clothes that we wear. And um, 
it, it, it's actually a bunch of reporters that go to the countries where these clothes are manufactured. So, for instance, there's this one episode that I saw where uh, a journalist uh, takes a, a, a T-shirt that he bought uh, and that he's wearing – uh, and then tries to trace back where does this T-shirt come from. And then he ends up in Turkey uh, where he visits the places where the cotton is uh, manufactured and harvested. And then he discovers that actually there are a lot of young children working there. And everyone there seems to think that that is totally normal. And so he interviews – I was actually quite surprised with the amount of freedom that he got in, in, in pursuing this uh, – uh, uh, well, this, this, this quest of trying to find out, you know, who, who makes my T-shirt. Um, but I thought it was actually quite shocking because it was just a, a T-shirt, not, not even like from a very cheap store, just a regular T-shirt from a regular store and you wouldn't – know that in and Turkey is not at least in my knowledge wasn't a country that was known for child labor etc but apparently even in in you know regular brands are still using sources uh, resources that come from countries that where there's a lot wrong with the production process and I was also shocked that they went to India also um, where a lot of the clothes are 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 made in in um, in factories, um, and where they said that actually the, um, the 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 people that worked in those factories said we don't understand why in Europe you don't buy um, uh, clothes that are made from uh, sustainable cotton because we have to work with all this very polluted material. There's a lot of chemicals involved, um, and if you if you use uh, sustainable cotton, it's not that much more expensive for you guys. For us, it is very expensive. They don't even sell those uh, sustainable products over here in India, so we have to uh, use the more dangerous uh, uh, materials. But if Europe would switch to and would pay, and it's just a few euros more per T-shirt, per dress or, or pair of trousers... Um, it would change everything over here. And and, and it made me aware. There's a, a series on Netflix, which is, I think, called The True Cost. I haven't watched it yet, but I heard um, some people um, talking about the Dutch series that said you should check that out as well on Netflix. And it, it made me even more um, aware of the fact that I can actually really change the world by the decisions that I make with my wallet and that it doesn't require me to pay like double the price but i have to be aware that if i try to save 50 cents on let's say milk because i just buy the cheapest uh, uh gallon or we, we we have liters not gallons of milk um instead of paying a little bit more for the sustainable brand um then i'm actually me i'm helping to uh, to maintain a form of production that I actually don't even like. And farmers, I have a lot of uh, people in my parish that have worked in, as farmers um, in the milk industry. They all, all tell me, you know, if in the Netherlands people would switch to what they call 
here um, uh, biological milk. <laughs> so it's milk that is from cows that live a much more uh, sustainable life. Uh, they're treated well. Uh, they're not constantly bombarded with medication and, and hormones and whatnot. It, it would increase the cost of milk just a tiny little bit, but it would be so much better for the farmers and for the animals. And so, and, and I was like, okay, if I'm a Christian and, I, uh, I, and my faith tells me, and my, my current Pope, Pope Francis, he continues to emphasize this on and on and on. He says, we have to step away from this throwaway culture where we buy stuff and then we throw it away. And this mentality, we also apply that to life in general. We, we, we have people in our society that we throw away, like the elderly. We throw them away. Let's get rid of them. They're not, they are not useful, so let's put them in homes and let's forget about them. We, we throw away people that are not, they can't, uh, uh, are not useful in, in the production process because they are they have a mental uh, uh, impairment or they have physical impairments so we just discard them and, 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 and the Pope says that starts with the choices that we make in our in our consumption uh, patterns um, if, if we can if we want to change this world and we want to create a world together with more respect for human life, for uh, the creation that God gifted us, and not just for us, for this generation, but also for our children and grandchildren and all the generations after us. If we want to be responsible, uh, we can actually make very uh, simple changes in our in our behavior, but we should step away from this uh, from this this lazy consumption where it was like oh it's the cheapest so we'll just buy that and then oh we saved a dollar we feel proud that we saved money i'm like that I, i'm always very proud when i save money on stuff but i also have to ask myself before i buy something does this really make the world a better place or not and and, and what else could i buy that will be better for for the environment for the people that manufacture my my clothes and whatnot so be more critical about where does our stuff come from and what's the real, who is paying the real price for what I buy? And that's usually a, a much higher price than what I'm paying at the, at the stores. And this applies to technology, to the clothes, to the food that I buy. And so for this year, I want to try to train myself to be more of a, let's say, more aware as a consumer. Um, and and. Be willing to pay a little bit more to help the people that make this stuff. Um, right now on Netflix, Mary Kondo, you know, it's this Japanese uh, lady who is helping people to declutter and to clean their houses. Um, Mary Kondo is not really minimalism in the sense that it's more about, well, it's also about minimalism. It's also about getting rid of stuff that doesn't give you joy. But it's also a lot about folding stuff, and it's it's a bit, I don't know, it's uh, it's a lot of fuzz. I think one of her main questions is always, um, if you want to clean clean up your house, just go through your books, for instance, and ask yourself of each book, does this spark joy or not? If it doesn't spark joy, throw it away, discard it. And I'm thinking, 
And, and if it does spark joy, here's how you can neatly organize it in your drawers and closets and whatnot. I would think it's much, it would be a much more, um, it would make much of a, more of a change if people would ask themselves that question before they buy the stuff instead of trying to clean their houses with it. So if you would ask yourself, before I buy something, does this really spark joy? And now, not just for me, but does this also spark joy in the world? Is, is what I buy, is it also helping, I don't know, farmers or children or people in the places, in the, the poorer countries where, where, these, where this stuff is put together, does it help them or not? Is it only helping me? That would be, I think, a much more of a life-changing and world-changing question to ask. But then, of course, you can't really write books about that and, um, and make interesting Netflix series about that because it's much more interesting to be in a situation where it's a total mess and then Marie Kondo steps in, konnichiwa, and she's helping you to fold your socks in such a crazy origami, beautiful way that your closet looks like a painting. <laughs> Anyway, um, those are a few thoughts about how I try to take it seriously, what Pope Francis says about this, this throwaway culture. And when I applaud Pope Francis for his stands on these issues, I should bring it home. I should do something with that in my own behavior. And I'm just one person, but change always starts with individual decisions. But if these decisions are are shared by great by bigger groups of people and there is an, an awareness that grows then over time it will change it will change the countries um, that need help it will change uh, the way we interact with the creation um, with the resources that we have been entrusted so that's my little talk for today let's read a book when did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics last night Packet, the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I'm really enjoying my uh, new Alexa uh, reading app. It is working really well. I've continued to read uh, The Meg, which is about this uh, prehistoric uh, shark. Um, but I have to say that I'm now kind of halfway through the book and I gave up on it. The book is not so good. It takes too much time to get anywhere. And I got confused by all the names. So I finally caved in and started watching the movie, The Meg, which is okay-ish. It's, uh, it's very predictable and kind of does... What it does, it does it well, but it didn't blow me away so far. I have to say, uh, disclaimer, I haven't watched the entire movie yet. I've watched about two-thirds. So I'm hoping that it gets better over time. But it is it doesn't really work in the sense that it's not it's not exciting to watch. The the shark, the big mega megalodontor or whatever, this this prehistoric shark is revealed pretty early on in the movie. But it's never very imposing. It's never very threatening. So I don't know what they're doing wrong, but there is, they're not building up that tension. That was kind of what I loved about Jaws. Is you don't get to see the shark that much, but it's constantly looming. It's this ongoing dread. And you know that it's going <laughs> to, at one point, it's going to hit. And then when, when the shark finally appears, then it's like, Hoo! it hits you. And this movie, um, there's too much shark in it and not enough tension. So I'll 
I'll give you my full review when I've watched the entire thing. But uh, the movie and the book, it's, they're both not that great. Fortunately, there are other books that I've started to read, one of which is a book by George R.R. R. Martin, of course, the author of uh, the famous uh, series about uh, uh, the, uh, what is it, the Iron Throne, um, Game of Thrones. He also wrote a few side stories, and the, the fans of, of uh, Game of Thrones actually really don't like it when he spends all his time on writing these side stories and prequel stories because he has, still hasn't finished the series. The, 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 the television series is going to wrap up this year, but the final season is, uh, is very close to being aired. Um, but then the books are nowhere to be found. But he seems to delight in kind of... I don't know, uh, <laughs> kind of uh, uh, writing different stuff. It's almost as if he's procrastinating writing the, the final, his version of, of uh, the, the history of the Game of Thrones. Mm, so he, uh, just the other day on, on the Kindle store, there was a book that was actually a compilation of three stories that he issued in 2015. Um, they're separate stories, and they are taking place about a hundred years before the events in A Song of Ice and Fire. And uh, the book is called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. And uh, it was on sale, $2.99. I was like, okay, 300-something pages. Um, the thing, I, I have never read the Game of Thrones books. I've seen uh, a few seasons of the television series. Um, I, I think I did try the first book, A Song of Ice and Fire, and, and got discouraged by all the names and all the – just so much information. <laughs> These are really thick books. And also, I have to be honest, the kind of the graphic violence and the, the vulgarity of, of the books. And, and the, the, the television series is pretty vulgar at times and extremely violent. But that kind of gets better um, in the sense that it, – there's, it's less gratuitous later on in the series, but apparently from what I've heard, the books are, are pretty bad when it comes to violence and, and, and uh, sex and whatnot. It's not the type of – it's not the style that I enjoy reading. But for about these, th this, these three stories, they're about a knight and his um, – how do you call that? The, his aide. Um, so they're adventure stories. So apparently – it's much less graphic and it's more uplifting and, and it's really about the nobility of a knight. And, and so a lot of the reviews on Amazon uh, say that it's actually much more lighthearted compared to, uh, to uh, uh, the Game of Thrones books and the television series. So I'm going to give it a try and uh, when I'm done, I'll, I'll tell you about it. And then there's another book that I started to read. This time I'm listening to the Audible version. It's a book that has been on my to-read list for ages and ages. I've started it a hundred times and never got anywhere because, I don't know, it just didn't work on paper. I fell asleep. And it, it just, I had a hard time concentrating on the story itself because there were so many facts. I'm talking about The Silmarillion, which is a compilation of stories um, written by J.R.R. Tolkien that tell the history of Middle-earth and tell about times long forgotten at the moment that we get to meet Bilbo and Frodo. This is about Arda, the Earth, 
in, in the very early days of his existence. It's also about a, an entire continent that is now sub, that is submerged. I'm saying now as if I'm still living in Middle Earth uh, around the time of Frodo and Bilbo, but it is submerged uh, at the time that we of the events of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and so a lot of those uh, stories, even in the world of Bilbo and Frodo, are are basically mythology and long-forgotten tales. Um, but for Tolkien, it was very important to flesh out the world that he created to tell these early stories as well. And uh, a lot of the elements of the Silmarillion um, have almost a theological depth to it. Um, but they're also a bit dry to read because it's never been written as, a, as an adventure story. It's background information. It's mythology. It's uh, um, there is a certain tone to those stories that make them kind of hard to read on paper. Well, everything changed when I got the Audible version. It's writ. It's uh, read by what's his name, Martin Martin Shaw. Martin Shaw is a is an English uh, voice actor. Uh, I think he did a little bit of acting, real life acting, but mostly is known for his um, his his reading, his uh, voice, and he reads the Silmarillion in such a way that I can't stop listening. It totally he delivers, and he gives. For instance, one of the the issues that I struggled with when I was reading the book uh, was like you get all these ancient names um, in Elvish and in the language of uh, the the. Uh, regular humans and you're like I have no clue how to pronounce this I, I can read it but I can't pronounce it in my mind well this uh, uh, Shaw uh, what's his first name Martin Shaw uh, did <laughs> did his research so he pronounces all these names as if he is totally familiar with them and that is so helpful and also his tone his delivery it's very kind of Shakespearean, but it fits the tone of these stories. And it, and he, by taking his time to help you understand what's going on, he really makes it easier to follow what's happening. And I was sincerely moved even by the first few books, uh, because they're like different separate entities in the Silmarillion, um, about about uh, Iluvatar, uh, who is kind of the god of Middle-earth, and how music plays such an important role in the creation of the world, and that Iluvatar first, his aides, um, like uh, we would call them probably angels, although it's not a uh, one-on-one metaphor of, of biblical stories. It's much deeper than that. But there are other entities in the in the in the let's say the divine world of, of Middle Earth, um, and at first they can only hear, and th- so they, they haven't been granted the the gift of vision, and it's only later on that Il- Iluvatar gives them a vision of the, the, what this music will lead to, and they get a vision of mankind and of the elves, and then it's only later on that that based on on those visions. Those are they dreams or I don't know these projections in from the mind of Iluvatar they are actually being created and awaken in the world in on Arda which is uh, the earth it also explains how evil comes into the world and destruction monsters and so 
It tells you where the orcs come from and how evil in its root, and that's where it's very theological. The, the evil in, in Middle-earth is the result of basically a rebellion of Melkor, uh, one of the entities that it was supposed to help Iluvatar create music and, 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 and uh, create the world. But then this, this one uh, entity... Wants to create his own melody, and 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 it and it it starts to uh, create dissonance, and then that ultimately results in in uh, a a almost a failed creation, and and and, and the way in which the dwarves are created. I mean, there's the, the dwarves are basically um, at one point they are created as almost as as copies of 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 the elves. Um, but it's separate from Iluvatar's will. Iluvatar wanted to the elves and the humans were his firstborn, his, his you know his beloved children, and then all of a sudden there's this other this Melkor, and and then the 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 dwarves are created, but they don't have a soul, um, and they were pr- purely created as an imitation of the elves. And then um, I th- I'm not sure if it's Melkor or someone else who who uh, regrets it and. And and takes a big hammer and smashes <laughs> these creatures, so they're only half the size. And then the Luvatar kind of has pity, and 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 accepts the apologies, and and grants these dwarves life and grants them a soul, even though they're only half the size of <laughs> of the elves, um, and and the the the, the man uh, on the on the planet. Um, and then you've got the orcs, which are actually an imitation and a perversion of the elves. So they're enslaved elves that are corrupted and then are kind of interbred. So they become this this uh, this insult almost to what the elves were supposed to be, the most noble creatures. And there's also a lot of great, great stuff about um, the gift of of uh, an endless life that was given to the elves. So they basically, if they're not killed, they live until the end of the world. They don't live necessarily forever on this earth, but they can't die. If nobody kills them, they can't die. Whereas mankind is given the gift, and it's, it's explained why it's a gift of mortality, and that they have a short life, and that the elves are actually quite envious of, of mankind, that their life is has an end. And then they are taken by Iluvatar to a second creation, to a, a, a world that is based on his second song. And so that's the way in which Tolkien speaks about the afterlife and about heaven and that heaven too is part of 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 creation of 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 what of the will of Iluvatar and that this earthly realm is just a temporary realm but that the there is even a more beautiful place in store for his beloved children for the elves same thing but it's and then and, and even the dwarves there is speculation about the world perhaps for the dwarves the dwarves themselves believe that when they die they also will go to another world and it's fascinating material and 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 i have to rewind it quite a bit because and that's just the way my brain works i'm i'm walking around so for instance the other day i was walking to ikea and <laughs> and i was listening to um to the Silmarillion, and then I get distracted, and before you know it, I'm thinking about I'm kind of <laughs> thinking about ideas and about Tridio and about my te- television shows, and 
And then I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm listening to a book. So fortunately, I can then rewind and re-listen to it again. And uh, this is definitely a book that I, I want to read more. I want to go, first want to read through it for, for, for the first time. Then I want to go kind of play Lotro and, and be in this world. Because it already starts to dawn upon me why certain themes in the story of the Lord of the Rings and in The Hobbit are so important and so much stressed. Because they're, they're very... They're, they are very important in, in, in the creation of Middle-earth. Um, so there, there's much, much more depth to all these themes of stars and flowers and whatnot. And then I want, want to go back and, and, and re-listen to The Silmarillion. And I think it will start to really dawn. In, in, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And it, it, I can't believe that it's only because of Audible, because of the Audible version, that it finally works for me. This is a book that I, at least for me, it's something I need to be listening to. It needs to be read to me by someone who understands what's going on and who knows how to pronounce these names and helps me to enter into that narration. So that's, that's what I've been reading. Let's go to the world of technology. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Yeah, what will be the next uh, Apple product? That one more thing that is going to help Apple to... Kind of counter uh, counteract or counterbalance the, the 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 losses of the stock, at least of the stock market right now. Who knows? There are new rumors about the the upcoming iPhones, and there is going to be a lot of innovation on the inside of the phones. There are some renders of a phone with three cameras on the backside in a square protrusion. None of that sounds too. I mean, it may be groundbreaking from a technology point of view, but will it be enough to sway people into buying another version of the iPhone? Or does Apple have to do something a little bit more radical? I, I don't know. I'm still thinking about there is going to be something with augmented reality goggles. And and probably in the long-term plans of Apple, um, there is going to be a combination of like the ultimate augmented reality product and and it's almost compulsory link with the uh, iPhone um, world and and software um, they've been talking about AR so much but I don't see any real application on my phone or in iOS or on the iPad uh, so it's I think they're pre preparing something but that probably the the technology for the glasses, is not advanced enough or not cheap enough to launch it right away. So they've probably been planning this out for, a, you know, in a couple of years from now. The phones have to be here so that the AR technology can needlessly be integrated with it. And now they have to kind of perhaps hasten things and and give us something a little bit more exciting than just another small iteration of, of their iPhone products. I, it's going to be an interesting year for Apple. And let's 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 be honest. It's it's sometimes it can be good for a company to realize that they have to mm, 
kind of put their shoulders under it and 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 do go the extra mile to to uh, keep their customer base happy. Um, can be good for innovation. And Apple has a lot of money, so that what what I don't hope, but I, what I fear is going to happen is that Apple is going to focus even more on services and that the, the next big thing is going to be that television platform uh, with their original content. And that, alt- it, at CES, they announced that there now a lot of new televisions have access to the iTunes infrastructure, but somehow I don't think that television production is, is Apple's cup of tea. I don't think that that is a strength of Apple, and I think they're not gonna. They're not gonna make it. I, I have a very bad feeling about that. It's not based on anything. It's just an intuition. I'm thinking, Apple is a genius hardware and software company, but make creating content, television, that is a totally different ball game. And, I, and Apple has not shown us so far that they're good at it. Uh, their, pr- their first uh, try, their first pilot series, there was this app app series where there's the app of the week or something like that. It was abysmal. It was terrible. Uh, they bought up, uh, what is it, the series? Is it, is it um, the, the karaoke in the car? It was just something, a formula they just bought. Um, but I've not seen Apple being original when it comes to television production. So I, I, I've got a bad feeling about that. I hope it's not the only horse on which they're going to bet, bet for the future of their company. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I read a very cool article. It was super nerdy about a hack to uh, use custom hot words for your Google Home and for your Alexa device. Of course, Google and Amazon want want you to use their regular keywords. I won't say them here because otherwise I might activate your uh, device. Um, And what people want is, of course, to use their own hot words. Like, I think with the uh, Amazon uh, device, you can actually teach it to respond to computer, like on the bridge of the enterprise. That's something I would like. But also other keywords. I mean, it still feels a really weird in my house to, to say Google uh, 20 times a day when I wanna, want my, my smart home to do something. It's like, eh, it doesn't feel right. And Google, Google is, a, is a brand and, and it, it doesn't feel very personal. So I kind of want to personalize my smart home, just as I can name my server and I can give my computer my uh, a name that I choose. And why not do that with keywords? Well, for both for Google and for Amazon, it's something that they don't really want to advertise. Uh, but there is a hack. There is a way. Um, and this is an article in Android Police. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, where you can actually build a small... Um, you have to... Uh, I think 3D printed or something like that. Um, And it works on one of those tiny mini computers um, that is based on Linux, I think. Um, It's a a very, it's it's based on a Raspberry Pi, uh, two speakers, a microphone array, and a 3D printed shell. And it looks like a blob that you put on top of your intelligent speaker. And what it does is when you, it, it constantly sends a white noise to the speaker until the Raspberry Pi hears your preferred keyword, your magic word. 
And uh, I don't know, it could be uh, uh, Expecto Patronus or something like that. And then what it will do is it will send, it will hear you and then it knows that I, we have to stop the, the white noise and then it will actually whisper from the top of your device to your Google speaker or your Alexa speaker um, the usual keyword and then it will start listening. So it's it's like an intermediary between your, it's kind of like your 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 parents um, putting their fingers in your ears if they, if you, you're not supposed to hear something. Um, and it's like, la, 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 la. <laughs> and then they'll let me explain what, what you can hear. And it's such a really nerdy hack, but <laughs> very creative, extremely creative. So that was, it was pretty cool uh, to read. It's not something that I think I'm going to implement in my own life. It's just a little bit too much of a hassle. I'm just waiting for Google and for Amazon to, to give me this ability to personalize my, my, my smart home. Then you know that I'm also uh, streaming this uh, this stuff, and very soon we'll also add a streaming component to my television show in the Netherlands. And I've been looking at various uh, software applications to use, and um, I I've really been most enthusiastic about an app for the uh, Mac OS environment, which is called Ecam. The only downside of Ecam was that it was based mostly on Facebook streaming, and Personally, I'd like to have choices because not everyone is on Facebook. And I think in the future, even less people will be on Facebook. So um, uh, Ecamm was a little bit limited. But uh, thankfully, they've now opened it up to both Twitch TV and YouTube and some other platforms as well. And I was also happy to read that they um, have a manual or like an online manual how you can connect your DSLR cameras and use them as webcams. And I have uh, uh, an ATD, uh, a Canon, which, as far as I knew, was not compatible. It was not uh, uh, usable as a webcam because of the fact that Canon didn't enable it. Well, it turns out that there is now an app for that that you can install on your computer and it will be able to communicate with my Canon DSLR and use it as a webcam. That, of course, is very cool because DSLRs are not very expensive and you can still create high-grade quality, much better quality because of the lenses that you can interchange uh, than you could uh, accomplish with a, with a cheap webcam that I'm currently using for my streaming. So I'm definitely going to do some more research uh, into that and um, hopefully that will enable me to get even better quality on these video streams that I hope to launch. So that is it for today's show. It's time to wrap things up. And uh, as usual, I thank you for listening. There will be an after show for my patrons um, that I record usually right after I'm done recording this. And in that after show, I can answer questions. And sometimes I also lift a veil on some of the future secret projects. So I got some secret stuff that I'm going to share with them. So if you're a patron... Stay tuned. If you're not, you may want to become one. So check it out. I'll see you next week. God bless.